Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Today, we're going to talk to a person who was a heart and soul player at Fremantle, became a heart and soul player at GWS. Matt DeBoer joins me today. Welcome, Matt. G'day, Duff. I'm not sure I uh, fit the brief of inspiring sports stories, but always respected you as a journalist, so looking forward to having a chat today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good way to start, mate. We pump each other's tyres up Absolutely. and then we get going from there. Mate, you let's go all the way back to the beginning. Tell us about growing up as a youngster in Perth. Yeah, so I loved football growing up in a in a family uh, of with three brothers, two older and, and one younger, and uh, so plenty of competition right from the get-go, but just loved sport, played everything, um, t-ball into baseball and you know, cricket, basketball, got fouled out a few too many times, and, and then obviously lots of football, and uh, just had you know, very loving parents that now that I'm a dad, I'm sort of reflecting on the gravity of just how hard that they worked to, to raise us four boys, but um, just facilitated everything that we wanted to do, whether it was yeah, playing you know, every every sport possible or um, getting out to the park and, and those sort of things. And yeah, just had loving parents and um, I just always loved sport growing up, but also with my parents being school teachers, uh, being an academic and, and studying was always a big focus as well. So whilst I loved uh, playing every sport and leaning into that, there was defined homework times and, and everything um, that came along with that. So your dad was um, big on sport. He was a sports master. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he, he uh I was a teacher of sport and, and played uh, baseball and, and football as well. Um, people often ask me, did I get you know pushed into sport or, or anything like that? And and reflecting on it, like, no, not really. But dad was just great at facilitating. If I wanted to go for an extra run or I uh, wanted to go for a kick or whatever it was, like, you know, and then having good school holidays as teachers as well, they were always there to, to help. So yeah, super fortunate um, to, have, to have them around. But then always seeing my older brothers, you know, going well in sport, you know, Chris and Scott, and always aspiring to try and, you know, keep up with them or play with their friends and not quite being at the standard there or getting pushed down. And, um, you know, often you know, running home crying as a kid to mum and she was like, no, you get back out there type thing. So um, I think that was all part of it. And then had a really good uh, friend in Ben Perso going through primary school, who's a, a SBL legend now for the Prairie Lakes Hawks. And we had like a, a great friendship, but almost like a healthy rivalry as well in whatever sports that we were playing, um, but also played with each other. And I think that was great for my development early as well. So was it always footy? Was that always your first choice? I think so. I think I was quite physical. As, as mentioned, I used to get fouled out in basketball too often. Um, so yeah, le- lent into into football and you know, loved of playing every position, to be honest, and, and growing up and uh, playing for the Swanbourne Tigers, you know, I started as a centre half back and you know learned a bit more about how to read the play and where to come off your man and impact there, and then had a stint at centre half forward and ultimately ended up in the midfield uh, from there. So yeah, loved playing you know all positions and had some success at the Swanbourne Tigers as well, and went to John Twenty Third College with a lot of uh, my high school mates, which were teammates, and then there was a bit of a rivalry with. Uh, a lot of people that were playing for West Coast at the time as well. So, so really enjoyed that. And yeah, I think um, 
I was I was better at football than I was at other sports, and and as kids do, you probably lean into you know what you're more probably naturally better at, um, you know, for self esteem reasons or otherwise, uh, and then yeah, from there you know progressed and I uh, was lucky enough to get um, selected to play state fifteens, where I probably started to think okay, I'm, I'm okay at this <laughs> and, uh, and probably doubled down and did a bit more work on my fitness and, and things like that from there. Got to ask you this, who taught you to kick? Yeah, it's, it's been, it's always <laughs> been a work on. It's never something that I, I quite nailed. Um, we can't blame dad cause dad was actually a reasonable kick, but yeah, yeah, it was never a strength obviously, but I got lots of strengths from my, from my parents and it was always something I worked on. I just had, you know, a, a sloppy, uh, sloppy ball drop and, um, and my stance leg was quite weak. So when I got to Fremantle, um, you know, I did plenty of work with the biomechanic. And I think over time, I think if you look back, there was, I got better at, uh, at picking my moment and, and, you know, from an efficiency point of view was obviously more happy to handball at times and give the ball to the Stephen Hills or the Josh Kellys of the world. But, um, yeah, it was always a work on, uh, but going into games, I, I knew that I had other strengths and, and weapons that I could bring. So when did you lob at Claremont? Yeah, so um, started playing there sixteen as a sixteen-year-old, uh, and then as a seventeen-year-old. So played state football uh, as a state sixteens, and then state eighteens as an underage, and then uh, as an older age as well. So the back end um, played a bit of league football, which was really good because you all of a sudden you're playing against men and and, and realise that um, oh you you know you're not quite as strong or as, as powerful as you quite thought and you're getting pushed around a little bit. So you have to, you know, find other ways to, to use your body. So yeah, learnt plenty of, plenty of lessons there. Um, but yeah, loved my Colts here as well, you know, playing with, you know, Kyle Morton and, um, you know, Tom Swift and, and a few of the boys there and, and we were quite a successful team. Um, so really enjoyed my, my time at, at, at Tigerland. So who were your coaches? Who were your coaches at Claremont and your juniors? Uh, Simon McPhee was, was my Colts coach and, and he was great. Um, you know, learned, learned plenty from him and he, you know, demanded, um, you know, everyone be there early and in the tiger time mentality, uh, but had lots of belief in me as well and put me in a variety of positions. Um, but yeah, played with Kane Mitchell, you know, he was a great player, um, going from there. And then, uh, for league it was under Roger Kerr. And he was a hard taskmaster. I think he thought I was getting a bit ahead of myself at times and was happy to let me know in, with a bit of a spray, which um, which is important. I think it's important for kids to, to hear that. Sometimes you you can cruise along thinking you're going okay, but the perspective sometimes you need is from from someone who does clip you and then you go, oh, geez, uh, maybe I need to get to work on some other areas here. And just a little bit crazy as well, Curry. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you play in interstate juniors, you play in the, the national 18s. What was that like coming up against the the best, the cream of the crop, if you like, in, around Australia? Yeah, really loved it. Really looked forward to it. Going on camp um, with the, with the you know, the WA boys initially and just that uh, sense of competition throughout the whole journey. I think I was one of those kids growing up that, you know, was often infuriated by, you know, if you're playing against someone in cards or table tennis or whatever and, and it didn't matter to them if they lost. I was like, what do you mean? It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> so... Really found, I guess, my people with the, with the competitive athletes, and uh, so that whole state process was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, getting to play against these other kids who are already touted as going to be AFL players, and you know, and, and sort of recognising some names there. But you know, I got to got to play with Daniel Rich, Nick Natanui, uh, to name a couple, and just you know, super players who have gone on to have amazing careers as well. What position were you playing in the in the 18s? So as an underage kid, I was playing more as a half forward. And then uh, as a top age kid, I was playing in the midfield next to Dan and, and Stephen Hill. Dan got tagged a fair bit, so it allowed me to uh, get off the chain a little bit more and uh, benefit from Nick's uh, handy rock work. 
<laughs> which get on the fly, basically be as proactive as you can. A little bit. Yeah. You. I was surprisingly all Australian that year. So that was, um, yeah, it wasn't something I sort of planned to achieve, but you know, got that, I guess, which sort of fueled the belief of, you know, being drafted might be a, a possibility. Um, skip forward to the draft and, uh, not, not to be. And that was, you know, obviously a disappointing experience, uh, you know, watching with my family and friends. And so tell us about yeah. that because you were a highly touted junior in WA, you were expected to be drafted and I guess you were probably the biggest surprise that you were overlooked. How was that? I appreciate that, Duff. I'm not sure if that's how I felt at the time, but, <laughs> but I had, you know, I had the player aid, they had the player manager in, in Jason Dover and he said, there's no guarantees, but it's looking likely that you're going to get drafted. So, um, you know, you get encouraged by that, went to draft camp and, you know, was was top ten in the in the three kilometers in the repeat speed and in the in the twenty meter sprint. So you like you know tested okay. Um, probably the kicking was definitely the one that was sort of holding me back. And you know, I guess clubs looking at, at the modern game and you know just how skillful you need to be and will that progress was probably the question mark. So yeah, it was a disappointing experience to be watching it and and you know going through the picks and, and not getting. Um, not getting selected, but you know, shortly after was the rookie draft, and I didn't watch that one because I couldn't couldn't sit through it again. But uh, quickly found out when the phone was lighting up that you know Fremantle had had selected me, uh, and I was just you know super chuffed at that and and super grateful. And I guess getting there um, found that you know I was a rookie listed player, but was treated very evenly, and there was no um, sort of hierarchy within that. It was you know Mark Harvey at the time was sort of you know you get to work and the best players will play. So uh, quickly you know didn't didn't sort of brand myself with that rookie tag and, and just went about trying to get better every day. And you were part of a massive draft crop, weren't you? That I think in that year, Fremantle took 10, 11 or 12 selections. So there was a there was a massive group of you came through at the same time. Yeah, it felt like a real sort of opportunity for us coming in. Um, you know, some great players, you know, McManus, Peter Bell, et cetera, were, were exiting. Um, and, you know, Stephen Hill, Nick Subin, um, Jay Van Berlow, myself, Greg Broaden, Michael Walters, you know, yeah, I'm forgetting a few, but yeah, big, big draft crop that came in and we sort of had some, some strength in numbers there. Um, but yeah, they had the, the Lord laid down pretty, pretty quickly from the high performance manager and, and saying we need to build our bodies. And we, you know, we came back to training earlier and, uh, and, you know, try to put on weight and put on, you know, and, and improve our fitness so that we knew that we were the next, you know, wave coming through that needed to take Fremantle to some success. So felt the responsibility there, but had some, you know, superstar players there in Matthew Pavlich, Luke McFarlane, David Mundy, who were, you know, key leaders in that time as well. Did, did it have a group feel, that draft crop? Did you, did you feel like your own little group at the club? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we went through, um, you know, even, you know, media training, which, you know, worked out well for some and not for others, but <laughs> de defensive driving courses and, you know, these extra things that were, that were put on for us so that we, we did feel like that a little club, um, within that, but also there was healthy competition within that. And, you know, you know, Nick Subin jumped out of the blocks as did, you know, Stephen Hill. So the rest of us sort of felt like, well, there's going to be opportunity here, but we need to work and, and earn those spots as well, which Harves, Mark Harvey was, was willing to give. We'll take a break there and we'll come back to talk about Matt's career at Fremantle. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. And this is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Barrett and O'Day, and we're talking to former Fremantle and GWS star Matt DeBoer. Matt, let's go back to your first game at Fremantle. What do you remember about your AFL debut? 
Uh, I remember my first kick was a goal. It just happened to be in the third quarter. Uh, there's a few handballs before that. But we we had a great win against West Coast Eagles, and I actually grew up as a West Coast Eagles supporter. But when you get drafted to Fremantle, you know you and your, your whole family quickly uh, swap allegiances. So, yeah, it was a great game. Uh, got the Powerade shower or the Gatorade shower. I get the sponsors right. But, <laughs> um, yeah, no, just had a an awesome experience uh, coming in and, yeah, felt, felt welcomed. You know, I knew I wasn't a polished player, but – Felt like I immediately tried to you know, you know, bring bring some hardness and uh, and start to build my brand that way. What role were you playing in the team at that stage? What was your position? More that high half forward pressure role, which you know, to be honest, the majority of my career was spe- um, spent. You know, I would, would, along with everyone else, you'd love to get in the midfield, and that's where I spent most of my junior career and had the most success, I guess. But would just love being in the team, love you know running out there with you know Matthew Pavlich, hearing the speech. So I was you know, quickly realised that I'm happy to play any role possible. So it was, yeah, more than that high half forward role. Um, I think I played on David Wirapunda, who I you know, grew up supporting as well. And it was a little bit surreal, but I think I got into a couple of scraps, you know, in, in the first game as well. And, and just tried to say, you know, I'm here and uh, I'm here to uh, make a stand and, and start to build my own career. So who'd you, who'd you front up to? Who are the, the ones you were jumper punching with? Oh, I can't remember. To be honest, I think there's a photo, so maybe you can bring, bring that up. But, um, yeah, it was just you know looking at these players if if they're in my way and I wanted to play a role for my team. I, I just quickly realised that I'm not going to be as skillful, as quick, or as fit as some of the, my teammates. If I can bring some sort of harder edge and play a role there, then then I'll do it. The derby is like it's the closest thing to a final that's not a final. So the tempo of the game, how did you find that? Yeah, intense. I, I don't think I got my second win for a while here. I, I remember having the thought like, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm cut up for AFL, like, just because I was gassed and, and sprinting around and, you know, they got the GPS these days. My metres per minute were through the roof. Uh, and But, yeah, leading into the week of any derby, you get the, the guest speakers in or the, the players that give you a feel for, you know, what's gone uh, in the past. So, you know, you're quickly indoctrinated into the into the rivalry and, and you really look forward to those games. That, you know, everyone wants to play finals and, as you said, that they're the closest thing to that. So, yeah, derby week's great. Great. You know, you, you feel the, the energy from your friends, your family, the barista, you know, everyone during the week. And then, yeah, game day, obviously, the, the crowd's immense, uh, whether it's, you know, West Coast or Freo supporters. So, yeah, always got up for the derbies. Was that a home West Coast game or a home Fremantle game? Uh, you'd have to have to help me out here, Duff. I, I just couldn't remember. I just remember it being a great game. We, we won, so I was celebrating, tried to block out the crowd. But, uh, yeah, not sure, to be honest. <laughs> I remember a game in your first year, I think it was, and, and Fremantle played Geelong and it was close at three-quarter time and I remember you calling in the younger players and talking to the younger players about the last quarter. Did you assume a leadership role even back then in terms of you know becoming a senior, senior person in that group? Yeah, I think growing up, I just always, um, you know, without – maybe wanting to be a, a leader or otherwise I wanted to win. So I just sort of saw benefit in, in speaking and, and leading in that way. I think naturally I'm a bit more of an introvert, but just love winning. So always took the opportunity if I could, you know, try and, you know, motivate or point something out to, to my peers. I was always comfortable doing that. And I think at Fremantle, it was quickly encouraged that, you know, everyone can be a leader and we had leading teams and you have these programs come through where they quickly want the young crop to do that. So I guess we felt that we you know had a, had a chance or, you know, we're giving the microphone at times to do that. Uh, so just in yeah, recognising any opportunities, then, yeah, I was always willing to do that. Can you remember what you said? I think Fremantle were obviously Geelong with a powerhouse in the competition at the moment. At that moment, Fremantle were right in the game at three-quarter time and, and it, it caught our eye that 
you had the the youngsters in talking to them as a group. You, can you remember exactly what you said to them? I can't, Duff, but I think, yeah, growing up, I always loved movies as well and, you know, watching the epic speeches, whether it's, you know, Russell Crowe and Gladiator or whatever it might be. So it wouldn't have been that, I can guarantee you, but I think it was just around how, like, young we were, but how, like, big the opportunity is and how I, you know, believed in, the, in, a, in a few of the players there. So, yeah, the specifics will escape me. You might have to ask one of them, but, uh, yeah, wouldn't have been epic, but would have just been centred around, you know, belief and but also pointing out how young we are and look at the opportunity ahead of us. So this is 2009 and it's part of a rebuild. We mentioned the size of the group that you were drafted in with. So it's a very young group as well as some senior stars. But in your second year after a very tough first year, the the club plays finals. What was 2010 like under halves? Yeah, I think it, like going through the my first preseason, I thought, gee, we're going to be good. Like, you know, just but having no, you know, data or I guess reference point and then quickly realizing, okay, we're a little bit off the mark here. But then in my second year and, and seeing the progression of that younger group, but also some of the senior leaders as well, um, then I thought, okay, no, we are going to, you know, um, rattle some cages here and we will, you know, surprise some people. So that like, that was awesome. And I think, um, you know, being from WA, how yeah, your family and your friends were all getting around you and, and realizing that, you know, you, you are going to be good here and, you know, there's going to be an opportunity. Um, I think we, we had a good first final and then, um, quickly realized, you know, we we're probably a little bit off the mark, but took the time at the MCG to look around and, and realize that, you know, this is awesome. And this is why we play football and, uh, really fuels that, that next preseason. So 2011 becomes a tough year. There's a lot of injuries at the club. I think the decimated by injury, I think, would be the best way to describe it in the back half of the year. And then Mark Harvey gets sacked, which took everyone by surprise. I think I've, I've spoken to AFL people who say they're always the first to know and they didn't know. Um, what was that like? Yeah, I definitely didn't know. I was in the leadership group that year as well for the first time and um, yeah, was was caught you know, as mentioned, I was still young in my career, didn't have reference points on, on your coaches. Um, the club just wanted to make a quick decision. Um, and, 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 you know, back in a, a new era as had sort of happened with the, with the younger players, like I was, you know, eternally grateful for Mark Harvey for giving me my first opportunity, but also ongoing opportunities. And I used to go up to his office, which is quite a daunting experience for, for young players, but used to front up and, and just speak to him a fair bit. And he'd often tell me, you know, the areas I need to work upon, but I think he respected that I used to go and actually have the conversation with him. So like at the, at the time I was like saddened to, to, you know, see him go. Um, but yeah, quick, quite quickly in, in sport that you, you need to move on, um, and get, get on with the new program. And, 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 you know, flashing forward to, to when Ross came in and, and laid the law down really quickly um, regarding his expectations. And, you know, I think day two, everyone, you know, rocked up with diaries because after day one, he was quizzing everyone and um, and just training standards across the board. You know, time trials weren't good enough. Training standards weren't good enough. So we quickly realized that this was the new era uh, and that, like, Ross had, you know, different standards. Um, so we quickly needed to get on page with that. And then, yeah, automatically we saw some more consistent, I think, games on the, on the back of that, which then everyone started to, to buy into. Do you remember thinking early on in the piece under Ross, we're going to go somewhere here with this bloke? I think about halfway through the year, yeah, you could really feel that consistency. I think there was some sort of teething issues with, the, you know, embedding a new game plan and, and improving some standards around that. But, yeah, as, as mentioned, you know, Ross was – he'd come in, he'd, he'd quiz us on the game plan, and if you weren't sharp enough, he would, like – it just wouldn't cop it, and you quickly felt that. You know, you'd move on next, not good enough. You know, if you if you ask Matt, what you know, what did we go through yesterday in in ball movement or team defence? And if you weren't 
airtight on the game plan, like you weren't going to be eligible for selection and you quickly knew that. So as mentioned, the, all the players got diaries. We were quizzing each other before we'd head into the meeting room. We were in there six minutes before the meeting started. He'd roll in. He'd rattle this um, this uh, bowl he had with everyone's number in it, pick up, pick up a number. 29, Matthew Pavlich, what did we go through, you know, in team defense yesterday? And, and you know, he treated everyone equally in that regard, including his assistant coaches. So just the high standards there across the board where then everyone, you know, was ultra compliant with the game plan. And then I think consistency came on the back of that. But then Ross would come in and he'd talk about um, brain psychology. He'd talk about um, what's everyone studying off field and made it, you know, uh, mandatory for people to be engaging something meaningful off field. And if you weren't, you weren't eligible for selection. So just tried to sharpen up everyone's on and off field lives um, as a result, which I think, you know, improved, you know, individual sort of habits and, and performances. Uh, so from there, you, you could sort of tell that we had a real opportunity here with the players that we had, you know, obviously Fifey, you know, Pav, Mundy, McFarlane, as mentioned, that, you know, we've got a real opportunity here, bolstered by some role players <laughs> um, to really go somewhere and achieve something. Did your role change under Ross? Because it felt like you were gravitating into a bit of a run with sort of situation. And then Ross came in and earmarked Ryan Crowley. He's going to be the tagger. Yeah. Ryan was uh, the fittest at the time and, you know, more senior and and those sort of things. I never really thought about that. Um, But yeah, earmarked me in that high pressure forward role where quite simply it was, you know, to pressure the the opposition's winger, create space, get back, block for, you know, um, Pav or, or otherwise, but then, you know, obviously try and get involved where I can. That was always encouraged, but really had role clarity around, we don't need you to have 25 and kick two. We need you to you know, nail your pressure role, you know, at times take out maybe the, the best half back in a, in a Shannon Hearn or otherwise uh, and go from there. So I got real confidence in that role clarity that, okay, if I do that, I'll be able to keep getting selected and, and be part of this team that was you know bound for finals. We'll take a break there and we'll come back and we'll talk about the 2013 grand final year, the golden years under Ross, and then uh, obviously the end of your time at Fremantle. I'm talking to Matt DeBoer, and this is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Yes, this is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to former Fremantle and GWS star Matt DeBoer. Matt, uh, just going back to that first game, by the way, it was an Eagles home game and the Dockers won by 13 points. So there you go. You You got to play on a winning team. Um, Let's go to 2013. You've had a really strong finish to 2012. I think Fremantle, I almost felt that if you could have gotten over Adelaide in that second final in 2012, that there was even something remarkable possible and you, you had control of them. I think you, you, had, you were on the road off two six-day breaks, I think, two weeks in a row, which is hard to do. Faded a little bit and they got you. But 2013, there's a lot of injuries at the start of the year. There's a few dicey moments early and then you just start winning and you keep finding ways to win what do you remember about that year yeah I remember I think offensively we weren't great in terms of we didn't always kick the biggest score but defensively we were uh, like rock solid and that was you know to Ross's strength Um, we really come forward defense you know we're encouraged to leave your man to come forward and pressure the next player and we'd 
you know, almost be able to suffocate teams at times. Um, and Ross would always talk about as we do opposition analysis, you know, and watching how they would play. It's like, is that a threat to us or is that an opportunity? And really just framing it for us in that way and being able to break it down, you know, and knowing that, you know, if we back in our, our method and our way that we've been training for two years now, like then we'll be able to, to, to crush them. So I think at, at one point, you know, Ross said the media is onto us about not being able to kick a, a big score. And he goes, boys, don't apologize for winning. So, you know, we, we had real confidence in, you know, the way that we were playing the the predictability to each other. I would know that, you know, if I came forward, the next person would be able to, and they might get one, two, three handballs through, but the fourth one would stop. Um, we had 10 diamonds on the off ball wing, you know, being able to help support defense. So there's real predictability to the way we played and real confidence, yeah, going into games. Was he a pioneer, do you think, Ross, in terms of the way clubs defended? It felt like his teams had a defensive edge on every other team in the competition. I think so. And it, and it might be not be pure uh, game style, but also, like as I touched on earlier, like just the implementation and the accountability to know your role, to know the other forwards' role, to know the defenders' role, so that we were one unit and we're quickly like everyone was on the same page and then you know team meetings were so intense so that you know if you were in the waffle but you you had to come in to play a role like you were um you had no you know you were you were certain on, on the role that you were going to play as well so that there was that sort of level playing field so yeah a little bit with a come forward you know nature but also just the way that he would consistently implement it and then yeah obviously game day execution when did you think at in 2013 that something special might be possible here yeah, I'm not sure. If you ask me, I mean, to be honest, probably pre-season. Like, you know, going back there after 2012, as you touched on earlier, I think, you know, we're a young group, probably not a you know mature group. Um, we had some you know, super mature players, but that could have been, you know, we could have given it a shake in, in that year. So like in the pre-season, there was just so much belief in there. I know I ran a PB in my time trial. A lot of players were running PBs. Like once you got that taste of success, it was like, oh, I don't want to miss out on this. So there was that almost FOMO uh, nature to it. So everyone sort of started to buy in. So it wasn't a game as such because it always felt like Ross was great at you know iterating us forward where we might have lost a game, but we moved forward as a, as a team or as a game plan. So it just felt like we were – heading up the mountain and we were just consistently, you know, chipping away. So I'd probably say pre-season, to be honest, but there was probably some some key wins along the way. Tell us about the trip to Geelong to play in the final down there and w- w- probably still the greatest win in, in club history. Yeah, it was an interesting one. I think uh, from memory it was like it was going to be at the MCG um, and we were like, yeah, that's great, you know, home of football, all those sort of things. Um, and then quite quickly it got moved down to – uh, the Cattery Skilled Stadium, and then as was, was all of a sudden there was this narrative that we created internally, like, righto, the AFL is trying to give this to Geelong. Uh, it's us against them mentality. Like, let's go show them. And then we did a lot of work during the week around, you know, obviously it's going to be a super loud stadium. Um, you know, pro Geelong, there'll be you know, a hundred to two hundred loyal, you know, Freo fans in in the crowd. But really redefining when the crowd makes a, a noise. You know, and that was your trigger to go back to your role. So everyone had really, you know, defined roles, role clarity. So whenever there was a loud cheer, don't be intimidated by that. Redefine that and reframe that as what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? And it's easy to say and, and much harder to do. And we, for what, you know, we were able to do that in that game. I think um, at quarter time, you know, I think they were up, but Ryan... 
Crowley started on Stokes, quickly got moved to Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson, yeah. And then that was a bit of a, a game-changing sort of move as well. But, yeah, we had this just belief, obviously, the Stephen Hill goal. Um, and just the way that we played, you know, you know, it was quite a combat, combative brand, you know, as mentioned with that come-forward defence that we felt like we were in it and we were, you know, had done plenty of research on what Ross would call the tricky cats with some of their moves that they were trying to do. Um, but had had confidence, but also that narrative of, it's us against them, and we really empowered each other with that. What was the feeling like after that game, the trip home to Perth? Yeah, just elation, and also um, knowing that you get a week off is crucial. And and you know that was always the plan for Ross to to give yourself your best chance. You know, at winning the grand final, which is which is the goal, um, is, is to get that week off, and, and that's you know really important. So, but quite quickly, it was always like you know back to. Did I do enough to get my spot in the next game? You know, how are we going to go and then who's it going to be and, and those sort of questions. The preliminary final against Sydney at Subiaco Oval too was a remarkable atmosphere because almost like you blew them off the park before half time, and then it felt in the crowd, I don't know what it was like out on the ground, but it felt in the crowd that the second half was almost a celebration of going to the grand final at the MCG before the game the preliminary final was even over. Yeah, it was epic. And it's something my friends and family uh, still talk about, just the chant of the of MCG going reverberating around Subiaco Oval. Um, but yeah, with the week off and that, you know, just that belief that we had from beating Geelong in Geelong uh, and sort of, yeah, sensing what, what could come from there. Yeah, like as mentioned, we, uh, we it was one of our, one of the best games and we were able to sort of, yeah, crush them defensively. You mentioned about making sure you retained your place in the team. How were you at that stage? Were you... Were you feeling secure or did you run out there every week thinking, oh, I, I need to do enough to get picked again? I, I knew Ross uh, liked and respected the role that I played, but I never felt comfortable. You know, like obviously everyone was doing their best to get into the team, you know, being particularly in an area era of success. So yeah, and that high pressure for a role wasn't always conducive to you know touching the ball heaps and those sort of things. So I knew if I built, you know, brought my pressure, tackle count was up, um, you know, spoke to Ross regularly that I'd be okay. But as you get closer to the grand final, still like you want to make sure you, you've got your set in the bus, as we'd talk about. So uh, I was there and abouts. Could have, you know, could, would love to have always performed better, but felt like that I got, you know, I ticked off of my role. What do you remember about the grand final against Hawthorne? Oh, not much. I've blocked it out, Duff. But no, <laughs> <laughs> as mentioned, they, they were just one of the teams over the, you know, the, the, yeah, we call it the successful golden eras with with Ross. That they, they were just able to, you know, super skillful team, able to sort of chip around our yep. our defensive pressure. We weren't able to get them into fast play at times. They were super methodical in that. So, you know, similar to everyone said before, we had our opportunities in the first quarter. You know, if we, if we get those, we go on from there potentially. But that's footy and we don't, you know, hold any grudges against anyone there. I've, I'm, I'm so, um, yeah, just, you know, passionate about that team that we went through those times with and those relationships and those bonds are, are strong uh, to today as well. So would have loved to have got them. I think if we played them on Subi Oval, it might have been a different uh, different outcome in that year. Um, but yeah, super team, can't take anything away from them. Um, so yeah, obviously disappointing outcome, probably a few tears afterwards, but just proud of the group that we went through that with. Was that your best opportunity, do you think? I know it's the only grand final you played in, but you were in the mix in 2014. You were in the mix in 2015. You actually had a victory over Hawthorne in 2014, but did you feel like 2013 was the best shot at it? Yeah, potentially, and, and also equal with 2015, and maybe injuries might have might have hurt us. But um, to beat uh, Hawthorne at home was probably our best opportunity. You know, the skinnier Subi Oval compared to the MCG, and then to go play West Coast 
you know, over in 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 the grand final, yep. what would have been the grand final, I think would have been our best opportunity to be honest. So that's the one I still think about every now and then. Um, but ultimately, we didn't we didn't execute it at home where we really should have. The the team was getting old by that stage, though, wasn't it? Matthew Pavlich was a couple of years older than he was in 2013, and of course Nathan Fife had had the big first half of the year, but but had carried an injury pretty much through the second half, which turned out to be a, a fractured leg at, at the end of the year. So that would have been the one to, to obviously miss him. Um, but yeah, I, I still think if we'd if we'd got there, you know, to verse West Coast in a in a grand final, that would have been pretty epic. Would have been on, that would, and it would have been on. <laughs> could have been a could have been a good outcome. Um, let's go through the, the year or two after that. And the, the team basically goes off the cliff at the end of 2015. Did you see it coming? I didn't, to be honest. Um, you know, the, the, the disappointment of getting close, you know, so many years prior probably started to take a, take its toll. Um, some of the players are a bit older, probably some of the similar messaging from Ross uh, as well. You know, maybe started to not resonate as such. Can this game plan stand up under, you know, and, and those question marks started to come in. But in reality, like that, that's, we, we knew that it, it could, but as those sort of cracks started to appear, it compounded, I think, against us pretty quickly. I only played four games that year. As an example, a couple of injuries, but spent a lot of time down at, at Peel Thunder, which ended up being, you know, one of the, um, my, like most favorite sort of, you know, years and, and outcomes as a result. I was able to go back there, uh, I was 26 years old. So I didn't feel old, but the club started to, you know, make a shift again towards playing the youth, which is which is part of it. And you know, if I'm the coach and I'm the CEO and uh, and I'm in charge and I'm going to, you know, make my decisions and, and back them in. So I hold no ill uh, feelings towards that. Didn't feel old, but thought going down to Peel Thunder, let's make the most of this. Was able to play more regular games with you know great mates in Zach Clark, Tendai Mazungu, Alex Silvani. Um, that year we end up finishing fifth. Fremantle went on, um, all the players that had played senior level all year went on by. So all of the Peel boys um, who had qualified quickly um, were the only ones coming into the club. And, and we thought, let's get, you know, we're going to achieve something pretty special here. Uh, finished fifth and then, yeah, won every game to the grand final, ultimately beating Subiaco. And, yeah, it's one, one of my most um, favourite memories now. So that's up there, is it? The the Peel Thunder flag? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, they're hard to win. Uh, and it's the only one I, I won, um, you know, Waffle or AFL level. Uh, but just how we sort of came together, a lot of the the players that were, you know, let's call them rejects from from the main main side, we just quickly thought, you know, you know, early on in the year that this is the way that the writing on the wall is, is occurring. Well, let's get something out of it. Let's make sure we perform at Peel Thunder and we don't, you know, drop our lip or, or anything like that. There's some great players down there that want to achieve and succeed as well and, and the, you know, the passionate members. So we re- really look forward to, to going down there. It was a bit of breath of fresh air. I played a lot more midfield time as well and, and yeah, ultimately really, uh, really enjoyed, you know, that experience. At the end of 2016, Matt, did you think that it was over uh, from an AFL perspective? Uh, the CV was in order, Duff. I was starting to get, starting to get ready. I had a few <laughs> meetings. I'd finished my uni degree, which was great. Um, I believed I had more to give. So I you know, told my manager that, you know, get to work and, and see what's out there. There wasn't, you know, immediate, you know, takers as it was. But as it sort of unfolded, it became clear that the Giants wanted to meet me. So I flew over, uh, got, did the medical, got to, you know, meet Leon Cameron. And he, you know, after the first sort of half an hour, I think he goes, yep, I think we want you type thing, which was good. And he goes, but you'll come in as a 26th, 27th, 28th player on this list. You know, we've got a pretty stacked side. I said, that's fine, mate. You watch me get to work and, and I'll earn my spot. So I think he quite liked that. Um, 
as the story goes, Tendai Mazunga got drafted as well, who we were, you know, great mates. So, you know, we had um, a real source of strength in that. You know, our partners came over as well. So I had a great year there. So, I mean, to answer your question, um, I was preparing as if it was the end, but I had belief in, in myself that I had plenty more to give. We'll take a break there and we'll come back and talk about Matt's second great career in the AFL, which took place at GWS. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Yes, this is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day, and we're talking to Matt DeBoer, former Fremantle and GWS star. Matt, your time at GWS, it's a completely different environment, isn't it? You, you go to Sydney, where footy isn't the big dog, and you go to the smaller club in uh, GWS. What was that like? Yeah, it was an experience, and, and I absolutely loved it. Um, but yeah, coming from, say, from Fremantle, where you go do you know, your school visits and your appearances, and there's you know, hundreds of kids there and they probably know your stats better than you do. You know, they, they're right into it and that, and that's awesome and a great experience. And then went quickly to the, the school visits out in, you know, Western Sydney or otherwise. And there's, you know, kids wearing NRL jerseys. We're teaching the difference between a goal and a try. And I go, okay, this is a new market. This is completely different. You know, you've got Toby Green and Jeremy Cameron there and they're not getting harassed. So, um, that was like, that was an experience as well, but just a phenomenal club. Um, obviously everyone sort of goes on about the talent, but I quickly realized, Gee, they, the boys train hard, and gee, they you know have a red hot crack. You know, Toby Green, Josh Kelly, Steve Canelio, just uh, super you know optically talented players, but they were the ones that trained and worked the hardest. So I go, great, I'll, I'll be okay here. I'll be able to find my way. Uh, and Tendai Mazungu the same, and, and similarly came in and, and just felt like it was a very flat structure. There was no you know hierarchy as such. Uh, everyone that's gone to Sydney for the Giants, it sort of quickly becomes everyone's own friends and family. You do all your social gatherings together. No one's got their other sort of pocket of high school mates or, or otherwise. So, um, felt really entrenched immediately and, and really part of the, part of the fabric. You know, they had a successful 2016 campaign. So everyone was vying for spots again. It was like red hot competition. Uh, I unfortunately hurt my hamstring a couple of times in, in preseason. So I felt a little bit behind the eight ball there, but you know, sense that I could play a role here. And also some of the, you know, let's call it IP and leadership that I was able to bring from Fremantle and Ross and, and Pav and, and those sort of, um, people, I think started to resonate as well with this you know, younger group that was keen to learn, keen to hear about, you know, the, the stories about Fifey or, or Pav or, or, or Ross. Um, I think everyone thinks I've got ill will feelings towards Ross because he delisted me. Like, couldn't be further from the truth. I put him in like my top five most influential people on on me, just how he approached football and, and life as well. So I was able to bring some of those lessons, you know, to the club. Um, and then ultimately, it was in my leadership, in the vote into the leadership group in, in my second year at the club there as well. Did you start tagging straight away, or did you grow into that role? Really grew into that role. I was sort of given license to play a bit more of a freewheeling high half forward role, which was great. Under Leon, had so much belief in me. Um, and he said, yeah, I know what role you played at Fremantle. I want you to come here and, and play the Giants way. And it was obviously quite different, a lot more attacking. And um, whereas obviously Ross was you know, very much more you know, defensive oriented in that way. And we, they tried to, we tried to change the, the game plan in sort of 2016 and a bit more of the Hawthorne model, which ultimately didn't work. But under the Giants, they were playing this run, gun, let's go sort of um, game plan and I was able to, I was, I was quite fit then, I was, I was probably, you know, 84, 85 kilos, the, the lightest I'd been 
uh, training with Tendai and I was able to sort of really fit in and, you know, kick a few more goals and, and um, get my hands on the ball a bit more than I had in the past. It wasn't until uh, 2019 and after seeing, you know, Hutch, Hutchinson and, and uh, a few other people start to tag around the ecosystem, I said to Lenny Hayes, who's the midfield coach at the time in pre-season, I said, if you want someone to to tag, I'm your man. I'm, I'm relentless to task and got good attention to detail. So he gave me a challenge in in training to to go and, and surprise and just and play on Stephen Canelio and did a, did a reasonable job. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, Callum Ward uh, injured his knee that year and was going to be out for the year. Um, so there was a, a midfield spot up for grabs essentially, which I was able to to grab in that more defensive role. You were still getting the ball, though, weren't you? You were tagging, but you were still getting good numbers of possessions. That was kind of set you apart from a lot of other uh, run with mids. Yeah, I think it can be a bit of a misnomer at times that taggers don't try and get the ball. It's very much that it's more of that's your starting point, and obviously you need to try and beat them. And you know these superstar athletes can you know, turn a game on its head in in a, in a you know in a quarter let alone a whole game of being unchecked. So it was more like attention to detail there as a starting point. But then, you know, with Shane Mumford, Stephen Cornelio, Josh Kelly, some some great midfielders around there that I was able to recognise times to, to get involved as well. What was it like having all that talent around you? They were blessed. It, it was awesome. Yeah, as mentioned, they backed it up with that hard work. But yeah, just like the skill and, um, and the belief I think they had as well, which is really important and something I changed probably going from Fremantle where – Probably used to doubt myself a little bit too much, and there was that stress of you know trying to hold and maintain your spot. Um, I really took the shackles off there, and you know with the second chance, there's something sort of special about that. Where I think I prepared the same way and had great you know habits, but it was that belief piece that I really unlocked and um, quickly you know got in I guess in the mojo of the Giants there, which was a bit of um, a bit of the time you know where you know we're here to play and play fast and play hard and and get on board with that. So I was able to yeah I think. Um, because of you know, maybe those talented players, as mentioned, they backed it up, but I was able to sort of get in their mojo as well. You played another grand final at GWS in 2019. What do you remember about that? It, it felt like the club had a remarkable year, but were a bit banged up by the time they got there. Yeah, so we finished sixth heading into the, the finals campaign. Uh, been a, including myself, I had a significant shoulder injury, You know, a few players throughout the year. As mentioned, we trained and we played hard, so it was sort of conducive, unfortunately, to to, to getting injured. Um, but we quickly, you know, with the, the week off, heading into finals, we, there was a bit of a mantra we got from Conor McGregor, where it was like, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Um, like, let's not just be sixth and, and see what happens. Like, who have we got? All right, it's the Bulldogs. You know, we owe them one. Like, and we just thought... Pretty like, fierce game. Real fierce. And that was deliberate. And, you know, like, and I don't know if people, how they talk about it, but we were like, let's be physical. Let, let's take it at them. We're here to take, you know, we're here to take over. It was sort of that UFC mentality. Like, let's go. Um... But there was that. There's always that belief there with the Giants. Like there were some games where you know whether the fans were surprised or not. Like we weren't. We'd always go into each game like we're going to be a red hot crack here, particularly when we were on. And you got super players, obviously Jeremy Cameron up forward as well, Phil Davis down back. Like we were rock solid in in multiple areas. So yeah, the finals campaign was amazing. Um, we went up to Brisbane and beat them. Obviously Collingwood at the prelim was a was an amazing game. Um, so by the time we, we, we traveled around the, the nation to get there, they were, the boys were a bit banged up, but still on the eve, there was that belief, but we quickly found out obviously in, in you know, the second quarter onwards that, you know, we were, we were a bit banged up and you know, Richmond to their credit, super team, played the MCG super well, which we hadn't done as well. And they were able to you know, run away with it. Did you play the best footy of your career at GWS, you think? 
I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's about opportunity at, at times. And I played, you know, some reasonable, you know, games at the Dockers here and there. And I'd say I played my role. So uh, it depends how you how you view that. Um, but then in terms of like, you know, output and contribution to the team on a more of a tangible sense, it would have been, yeah, at the Giants, I think, particularly when I was tagging. Um, I felt like I found my, my, my you know, the, the best role for me at that time as well and really contribute to what the what the team was doing more globally and allow Josh Kelly and, and Stephen Canelo to get off the chain because I'd be keeping someone else a bit more quiet. You actually became a pretty competent kick too. You were, I remember you being far neater and compact in your action and and, and pretty reliable. I, pr- I appreciate that, Duff, <laughs> because <laughs> it was definitely, you know, I don't shy away from that. It was a constant area of focus and it wasn't something I just sort of put away. It was like every every training session trying to do the extras, but also reviewing decision-making. So the AFL is great these days. You get four-plus camera angles you can go through and look and break the game down. So just really sort of thought through, you know, I'm not going to be the Josh Kelly, thread the needle, but I'll be able to, you know, from a decision-making point of view, an execution point of view, you know, be competent enough. So, yeah, it was always a work on where I felt like I got to a stage where, you know, it wasn't a liability for the team. Tell us about the finish, 2022. Tell us about that year. Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was 32. You know, I've probably you know, sensed it early that, you know, um, I'm probably coming to the end here as well. It's, you know, started to not get picked every week and, and those sort of areas. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough time, but also I was, you know, super proud of what I was able to achieve at, at, at Fremantle on the Giants and these relationships I've had with the players that will transcend football. So, um, yeah, it was an emotional time, but it was it was part of it. You know, I'd been a, um, subtly and slowly building a business off-field as well. Um, my wife fell pregnant, so there's lots of things to be excited for in that next uh, chapter of life. You know, there's going to be no substitute for, you know, having a, a great game, winning with the, with the team and uh, and sitting in the locker room afterwards. But, uh, re- yeah, really excited by what's to come. I'm a dad now, which I'm pumped about, uh, and growing a business where, you know, called Athletic Ventures. We're, we're a syndicate of athletes that in, invest in startups. Uh, so companies like, you know, or, and, and private equity companies more broadly. So companies like Guzmani Gomez, Pet Circle, uh, Zero Co. Uh, so I get to work closely with these founders, you know, and I, I liken these founders to athletes just in the way that they approach you know, every day and trying to get better, the setbacks along the way. But if you've got the team, the culture, the process, then you can ultimately succeed through some you know, areas of risk. So I'm really enjoying that and get lots of energy from that in my, in my new pursuits. Did you ever think about coaching? To me, you have the mindset, the application to task, if you like, to be a, an ideal coach. Did you ever think about it? And do you still think about it now? I do, and I do, you know, enjoy, uh, enjoy you know, tuning in, you know, every now and then. There's less football, you know, in your face in, in Sydney, but uh, I did think about it, and I do get a real kick out of, you know, helping, you know, someone achieve, you know, their goals and, you know, being in part sort of, you know, wisdom or perspective or whatever it might be onto players. I used to love doing that with the with the younger players. Ultimately, I'm more motivated by what we're building at Athletic Ventures, but, you know, still provide a, you know, a leadership role to lots of players uh, in the AFL. And the Giants, you still stay in touch with the Giants? Yeah, absolutely. So I still do some advising to the Giants as that as that past player as well, and and what they're trying to achieve there, and get lots of uh, you know energy you know from that uh, in very much a, a part time capacity, but um, really close to the group. Really think they've got something special to achieve uh, as they sort of are in a new market of football. As mentioned, is a it's um it's a it's a challenge, but it's a great opportunity as well as that. And we've seen the trajectory there that they've been able to, you know, slowly grow members uh, and converting people to, you know, the great game that is AFL. So yeah, playing a small role in there and, and get to stay close to the, the group every now and then. One last question before I let you go, Matt. I have to ask you this one. Tell us about Toby Green. 
Toby Green is my favorite person to talk about, so we have to do a separate episode on him. But <laughs> he is uh, a special person in in the sense that, as mentioned, the way that he trains and prepares, he's just a warrior. Like you know, he he's the the one that treats training like it's a game, and you sort of hear that. But not many players actually do that. Where he'll like he'll check you, or he'll try to create separation, and he'll put his hand through your chest doing it. And I'm great friends with him, you know, as an example. But it, it, you know, almost get quite combative on the field. You get that white line fever. Um, has this, you know, you know almost religious self uh, sense of belief in himself in, in that, like he can always win every contest on the ground, in the air, whatever it is. And you can't help but admire and respect that and want to go with him. So there's no surprise to me that he's the captain. But I think he gets misjudged because um, off field he's actually ex- extremely quiet, and he's you know finished his uni degrees, doing his MBA. He reads the AFR daily, drinks green tea. Like he's just a, uh, he'll do work experience. You know, he asks me questions about the businesses that we're investing in. Like he is, uh, you know, just all about learning and that daily, you know, that daily growth in that regard. So yes, he's a competitor. Yes, he's someone you want to run out with and, and that first picks mentality. And then off field, he's just about getting better as well. And um, and he's just a, a, just a great person as well. Matt DeBoer. Mate, I think uh, 223 games from where you started, extraordinary career. I think the, the ability to to build something at Fremantle and then build something completely different at GWS is a credit to you. Your person who left it all out there got the most out of himself, I think, as a, as a player and probably will continue to do so as a person. Congratulations. Thanks so much for sharing your story with us and uh, look forward to, to seeing and hearing and reading more about you in the future. Thanks, Duff. Appreciate it. That's Matt DeBoer, and this has been Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.